Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security, Security Confidential. This is your host, Minoj Tandon. Today, we are honored to have Boyd Cluis join us. Uh, Boyd is a very driven person. We're going to learn a little bit about him today. But to give you a little bit of his background, he's a self-taught cybersecurity consultant who started off in an entry-level position and now today is helping people earn six-figure incomes in the world of cybersecurity. He was formerly a security architect at American Airlines. He is also the co-founder of Baxter Clue's Cybersecurity. Boyd is the author of Corporate Security, Proven Ways to Reduce Cybersecurity Breaches, and a highly respected international expert and speaker on cybersecurity. He's been featured on Forbes, NBC, ABC, Fox, and CBS. Welcome to the show, Boyd. Thank you so much for being here today. Manoj, thanks for having me. I'm excited about the opportunity to be here. It's not often that, you know, I get to take time out of my schedule just to talk about cybersecurity and my passion. So, man, it's fun for me. And you know what? Um, passion is, is a word that we're going to underline a couple times in this because just listening to some of your talks, uh, listening to some of the podcasts you've been on, it's abundantly clear that you have a lot of passion about what you're doing. So from what I understand, your first gig was somewhere in accounts receivable. Absolutely. And that somehow you ended up as a security <laughs> architect, no less, at American Airlines. So, yep. and then you started your own company. Kind of walk us through this. How, how does this happen? <laughs> it can't be accidental. <laughs> no, no, nothing is accidental, especially with me. Everything is intentional. So um, I'll, I'll make this brief. When I was working in accounts receivable, I was actually working for one of the biggest copy manufacturers in the world. It was Rico Corporation. And oh. um, we're working in the Dallas area, but IT support, desktop support was actually officed out of the corporate office, which was in New Jersey. Okay. So believe it or not, my knack for understanding IT actually came from laziness. <laughs> so w what would happen is when somebody's computer would break on the accounts receivables team, they would have to ship their laptops to New Jersey. And so what happens when you have five people's laptops down? I got to do their work. Yep. So you I was like, do the we're work. not going to ship those laptops back anymore. I'm going to figure out how to fix these things myself. You went out of your way to provide better service <laughs> of your own volition. You can say that. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I reduced company ethic. Like looking back, it was a significant value add because I reduced downtime. I increased productivity. But ultimately, what I was doing was I was trying not to do other people's work. Okay. <laughs> So what happened there then with Rico? So the, you started off on the help desk. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. So that, that was all accounts receivable. So oh, that was, was accounts receivable. The, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing the, the tech support in my accounts receivables role. So I wasn't getting paid as an IT guy. I was getting paid as an accounts receivable person. It wasn't a lot of money. <laughs> but what eventually happened is I, I did that for about three years. And I was interested in making the shift into it but i was at a place where i was comfortable so i was afraid to make the shift but sometimes your comfort zone you'll get pushed out of it 
So what happened is um, the big wigs from Japan, they flew in and essentially fired all of us. They moved operations from, wow. da- from Dallas to Orange County, California. Wow. See, that's, that's something very non-Japanese to do, given their illustrious history of maintaining a workforce. Right. Yep. Yeah. Like, we didn't expect it, man. It was like, oh, man, they're coming in from Japan. We're going to throw a party. They're coming to congratulate us on job well done. It did not work out like that. Okay. Uh, so you guys became redundant, according exactly. to that. So what, what happened was Rico merged with a company called Icon. And Icon had better internal processes, so they decided to go the Icon way and eliminate oh, several of the Rico offices. Got it. And how did that impact you? That uh, I mean, at, that couldn't have been a good time. I I gotta believe. No, no, no. I was uh, newly married. Um, I had you know two kids at that time. And I was kind of panicked, man, because my wife wasn't working outside of the house. So I'm like, we got one income and now I am unemployed now. So um, it was it was pretty stressful. But the, the, the best thing actually happened from the situation, number one, even though Rico canned us all, they took really good care of us. Number one. They set up our unemployment benefits that started as okay. like day one of um, the end of our jobs. So I didn't miss a paycheck. Number two, they brought in a, um, what was it? A, a career consulting firm to help us recraft our resumes and be able to speak to the experience that we had at Rico to make the transition. Okay. So they gave us career consulting, updated resumes, and then a buddy of mine found this place called Creative Ventures. Creative Ventures, at that time, they were offering free CompTIA training for people that were either veterans or laid off from jobs. So they gave me free CompTIA training and certification vouchers. Wow. Yep. Uh, You got the golden package of being let go. Most Americans who go through that unfortunate experience, and many people do, they're just kind of escorted out the door and saying so long, farewell. You know, that's yep. so I take it you did you went through CompTIA and that was your first intro to the world of cyber? Yeah, it was. It was. It's like, man, the whole new world out there. So before I ask you the next question, one one thing that I wanted to understand, how did you avoid playing the role of the victim in a very unfortunate circumstance. Because we see that, you know, a lot of times bad things happen. You lose your job Mm -hmm. or somebody gets ill or there's this natural human tendency to say, why always me, right? Oh, yeah. Be down on your luck. How did you overcome that? What was your, uh, what drove you? So that actually I see comes, that smile. I'm curious. It <laughs> <laughs> actually comes from my upbringing. I have um, very, very strong parents. And one of the things that we were, we were led to believe, because I grew up pretty poor, and nothing happens to you. Everything happens for you. And so, like, you can either choose to focus on the bad part of things or choose to focus on the positive parts. When you choose to focus on the negative parts, 
that's where suffering comes in. So like you can have things happen and you can roll with it or you can like suffering is a choice. Like why me? Woe is me. All this bad stuff is happening. Or you can look at the brighter side. It's like um, I wholeheartedly believe that every situation has duality, right? Because like some people think that becoming rich and successful is cool. Then you have some people that think now you're evil. Right. Yeah, so it sure. depends on who's looking at the situation. But if you try to find the good, then it'll work. So I realized that I had unemployment and I had the opportunity to make a career transition. So to me, I was like, I'm going to get paid to learn right now. That was my my focus. Oh, my. That's that's a great story. But how do you go from a CompTIA to being a security architect at American Airlines? Because that is not an entry-level job by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. It's not. So um, what I did, so th this wasn't a thing that happened overnight. It took about, uh, so when I, I landed that first job, that was 2010, became the architect around 2015. So it was around five years. Okay. But um, what I did was, oftentimes people get into the IT space and they want to go work for the biggest company possible thinking they're going to get like this huge paycheck. Well, I had sure. a different philosophy. I wasn't motivated by money. I was motivated by opportunity. So what I did was I went and worked at some small MSP companies, which is managed service providers yep. that were providing services to 30, 40 different clients. And I did that for a few years and it was like getting 20 years worth of experience in like three. So, oh, yeah. Like, and that's going to be deep experience. Exactly. Because I was in the trenches. So there was healthcare, legal, accounting companies, auto dealers. It's like I saw so many different verticals. It was ridiculous. And I was learning new stuff again. And again, I'm getting paid to learn. That's the way I looked at it like my entire career. I'm getting paid to learn. But you have, again, it gets back to being motivated. I mean, I think there's a lot of people and, and you know, we work with some disadvantaged group with groups that serve disadvantaged people. And even though the availability is there for the resources, they have to turn the door handle and kind of walk through that door, right? That there's mm -hmm. no one's going to give it to you. And no. And that is, that's the part, the psychological part of the equation that often is not addressed or there's this thought that, you know, if I just do a cert, now I'll have a job. Or if I <laughs> just do, I, I'm serious. I'm not kidding I know. you. Man. I know. Right? Yeah, and, it drives me nuts, man. That's just, that's just the stuff I have to contend with online. So like, you know, what we do is really impactful and I'm so passionate about Please, it, Please tell us about but it. You have, you have people creating Reddit threads about me or making comments on my um, Facebook post or Instagram. You can't get into IT without a cert or all you need is a cert to get a job. I'm like, dude, how many people do you know that have taken foreign languages, aced the class, but can't speak the language? How many people do you know that have driver's license? That's the overwhelming majority of people who did that. But yeah, you so know? I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How many people do you know that have driver's licenses, but you would not get in a car with them because they can't drive? <laughs> the certification doesn't mean anything. It's can you do the work? And do you want to do the work? Right. <laughs> you know, that that's the other part of this. You, you, you get people... 
and they're like, well, you know, I just, I just want to check some boxes and that should result in a paycheck. I, I think there's a little bit of effort involved with this, right? Just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, which, you know, effort, it brings me back to uh, another, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going back to some of these personal questions because you're such an interesting person. We just want to get our listeners to know you a little bit better here on this. It's fine, but, it's fine. Uh, you know, being a father of four, did that have an impact on your effort? Has that, is that how you came to say, you know, I'm going to start my own company. I want to give them something exactly. bigger and better or. Exactly. So um, a, a guy told me one time, he was like, power comes from being able to put the ones that you love in position to earn. He was like, okay, so you care about that company that you're working for, right? So yeah. Can you get your son a job there? And I was like, no, I'd have to go ask some people, Hey, can we put something together for my kid? And I thought about, thought about my upbringing. So like from the age of like 13, I've been working. I started in sales. So I'd be outside selling books, vacuum cleaners. If it could be sold, I was out there selling it. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want that life for my kids. That was hard. That was stressful. What I want them to do is be able to have the option of either going to college or coming to work for me. Okay. And knowing that life is going to be okay. So um, number one, providing for my family, but provide leaving a legacy that they could um, join in and eventually take over has been the motivating factor. And that's why we named the company Baxter Clueless. Like my wife's name, um, her maiden name is Baxter. Ah, so that's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. So your wife is literally your partner in the she business. Is. Yep. Yep. She's the president. Oh, so you, you just kind of work there then. Exactly. Really I, the I tell people. people, I'm just a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have set up a uh, pretty extensive training program and, and you're trying to help people. When you look at the ads that our industry has, when you look at the, the wanted ads for cybersecurity, a lot of them, some of them are really interesting. They're asking for five years, 10 years of experience and technologies that have only existed for three years, which. Exactly. Like, okay. How, how did this happen? But all right, um, we'll go with it. How do you get, how should people make that transition to an entry level role. If they're wanting to make a career change, if they're working at X and want to get into cybersecurity, how do they make that jump when they have no experience? I want to do a little myth busting on this with you. And Let's get do it. Guidance. Let's do it. So yeah. um, in my experience, first of all, what I've noticed is these job postings that are asking for these 10 years of experience for technology that have only existed for three, number one, Someone in HR wrote this job description that has no idea what is really needed for the position. No idea. And that actually discourages that. people from applying. But if people would just toughen up a little bit and not be concerned about the requirements and be confident in your abilities to have a conversation with somebody, you could actually win some of these positions, even though you don't qualify for them. I am um, four years removed from my position at American Airlines. On paper, I still don't qualify for it but I excelled well at the position. And so what people got to realize is cybersecurity is beyond coding. It's beyond hacking. 
there's several positions that only require soft skills and the ability to learn frameworks. And if you come with the willingness to learn to be a student of the occupation, then you can get a job because these soft skill positions like risk management, auditing, most people don't really want to do these. So when you can show up eager to do something that adds value that people don't want to do, how could they not hire you? So, you know, those positions, it's interesting you mentioned auditing or risk, risk analysis. They do require you to have some understanding and function uh, of how a business works. Like how do you analyze the risk of a business that where you don't even understand the business? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So again, if you don't have any experience, how would you get, how would you get into that? Or how would you get past the robots that are blocking your resume? Cause a lot of the bigger companies have those is they're just exactly. gonna, right. <clears throat> a lot of robots. Out there. Yeah. I'm this? ready for this. Please tell me I'm cyber hero rule. Number 25 people hire people, not robots. If you want to get a job, you need to connect with the people that are actually making the decisions. LinkedIn is a perfect place to have a conversation with hiring managers because people are looking for entry-level positions they can mold. Why? Because IT people are naturally lazy. That's why we have shared accounts and we have all these breaches. But if they can find someone that's <laughs> eager and new and ready to join, then the company can mold you into the, the professional that they want instead of trying to teach an old dog new tricks. Now that is going to generate some comments. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's number 25. What's rule number 24? I'm curious. Cyber <laughs> hero rule number 24. What is that? Man, we we have a whole mantra and set of beliefs inside of the organization. And um cyber hero rule number 24, before you go to the point of talking to the hiring people, you need to make sure that you remove um, low income skills from your resume. That's number 24. Wow. So your job at McDonald's, take it off the list. So it's not the job. A title doesn't mean anything, right? It's all about in how you position what you did there. Yeah. So if you were in IT at McDonald's, that's a whole different ball game. But if you were mopping the floors, that's a totally different ball game. No, is it? I'm asking. No, absolutely not. It's all in how you sell your experience. So here's what you got to understand. When I made my transition from accounts receivable into IT, on my resume, I didn't talk about any of the accounts receivable stuff that I did because it wasn't relevant to my new position. What I talked about was the tech support, the setting up the copiers, the printers, et cetera, because that was what was driving me to my new position. What happens is, People only talk about experience, number one, that they're paid for, or number two, that goes in line with their general title. And then they don't, they're not, they don't look, they look unqualified on their resume because it's like, who is this guy? But if I'm mopping floors during the day, but I'm also plugging up and managing the, the cash register system and helping maybe when they're over overworked with processing credit card transactions, then I got something mm. to talk about. You do. But you know what's very interesting? So I'm going to generalize this for our listeners here a little bit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, if I got this wrong. But it you are very much contextualizing 
your story and presenting it within the context of the job that you are seeking. Exactly. Which is something that most people do not do. And I guess if you do that, you've already automatically differentiated yourselves quite a bit from the field. Exactly. So it, it only makes sense. So you got to think about it like this. How many times have you been grocery shopping or you had some door-to-door salesperson come try to sell you something that you're not interested in at all? A whole bunch of times. Exactly. The but Kirby vacuum cleaner you, guy comes to mind. <laughs> you know, you know, but if they knew you and they knew the things that you were actually interested in, they came and provided a solution to a problem that you were having, then you would probably be interested in having that conversation. And so I like, would. yeah, you know, and, and that's what the resume is going to do. It's a conversation starter to the challenges that the company is having. And then you go to cyber hero rule number 26 is when you start off the interview question, like, tell me about yourself. Well, you flip that to take the control of the conversation. Well, look, I've done a lot of things. Would you tell me specifically what challenges you're looking to solve right now? Then I'll tell you about my experience that's relevant to that. See what I'm saying? Everything is specifically toward the problem and the position that we want. We don't waste time. I, I love it. So let's let's back up the bus here a little bit and go to rules one through five. Let's do the top five. So <laughs> rule number one, don't be weird, bro. Don't be weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'm kind of screwed on that one. That <laughs> I, I okay. Let's say you're not capable of doing rule number one. You're like me. Then what's two? <laughs> uh, no, no. You you passed the test. See, rule number one is designed for the people. Hey, and I love you guys. No, no offense to any coders out there. It's the coders that should be in the basement. They're not people facing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we put people in public facing positions and you can't be weird trying to command the attention of execs explaining risk and things. It just, it doesn't work out. But um, rule number two is to manage your career. Like it's a business because like, we don't look at the traditional model as I'm an employee. This is the company. It's like, no, I'm a service provider. And the person that I work for is a client. I'm a service provider. You know what that does though, is uh, inherent to that statement is the fact that you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, You know, you got to, if you're a lot of people, so I'm going to turn back the clock to my parents' generation. For them, a job was about get a job at IBM and you can retire from it. You know, mm-hmm. you're, it's something that you can do every day. It's reliable. You go do your thing. Don't make a lot of noise. And, and you're going to have a good life. You're going to have the house with the pool. Life's good. Move it along. Yep. Rule number two here. You ha- if you're going to take that attitude. I would imagine, I, in fact, I don't know how, if you, you can't be in your comfort zone all the time, then you have to be okay with getting out of it. Absolutely. You have to. Yep. And then rule number three, do not show up to an interview without knowing the salary range. Waste your time. What is, is there a resource you can point people to that where they can get that background information? No, I'm, I'm going to tell them right now how to do it. So when a okay. recruiter comes to you and they tell you they have this position and, hey, we want you to interview, that's cool. 
Like, could you do me a favor and let me know what the budget is for the position? If the budget is outside of your range, you never show up. It's like, hey, you know what? Thank you. That's a little bit under my range I'm looking for. But let me know if you have an opportunity that has XYZ range. Because too many times people will go through three, four rounds of interviews only to get lowballed off at the end of the interview process. And that's time that you've wasted and you never get that time back. Well, you know, uh, because there's a golden rule that everyone's been taught is that you don't talk salary up front until it's brought up to you as a topic. Old, old, yeah, that's old stuff. I don't. That, it is that old principle. stuff, Boyd. It's very much old stuff, but but yep. it's there, and and uh, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge it. But it, it's it's that's how people. But that's also coming from the fact from a paradigm of rule number, which where rule number two doesn't apply, where you are trying to run your career as a business, right? Yep. Yep. Right. So rule number three only works if rule number two is something exactly. that you take the point in. So what's number four? Do not accept a job without a training budget, an annual training budget. Okay. That's an interesting one. One that I haven't heard before. Why? If you are willing to give the company something that you can never get back, which is your time. And the only thing they're going to give you dollars, then you're trading dollars for hours and you're only going to go so far. What we believe in is trading value for dollar. Right. And so in order to get more value, they should put something in you so they can get more value out of you, which is training. That's going to show that they're willing to make an investment in your future, not just the hours that you worked. So all of my jobs, all of my certifications have been paid for by the companies I work with. Yeah, you mentioned that. And and I think uh, what you're asking for is somewhat par, at least in cybersecurity, most of the companies I know do invest and want their employees to maintain certain accreditation certifications, stay current. I guess be masters of their craft, whatever yep. they've chosen that to be. Yep. Okay. Exactly. What's number five? Number five, it's funny you mentioned that mastery of the craft is mastery. It's mastery. So um, there's that saying that goes, jack of all trades, master of none. If you want to be successful and have long-term growth and stand out, you need to have mastery. And specifically, what you want to do is you want to master something at the company that is high value and people don't want to do it. Imagine being the go-to guy for things that people don't want to do. You're seeing completely different. And that is one way to catapult yourself to success. Well, if you're going to start a company like some of us have done, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to go where no one else is willing to go. Yep. Like in, in our case, I'll tell you, in Dark Rhino's case, we service the small, medium business market and we do some work opportunistically in bigger companies, but it's not like we're seeking it. Mm -hmm. um, that was a conscious choice. Most of our competition wants to work with Megacorp. Yep. And, and that's choice. So, yep. Go yeah, do I find something it easier to, to work with the SMBs anyway. <laughs> well, I think you can build um, you can build an empire on the shoulders yep. of that market. Exactly, right? they're good people. Yep, 
they're good people and uh they have the same cybersecurity needs as a much larger company but i think you can affect them much more but that's that's a whole nother topic we'll get into that here in a second <laughs> yeah but this, this this is fascinating um you mentioned that you you know i think i read somewhere that you guys have helped more than 300 plus people make this transition 500 uh, now 500 yeah. so between the people that were successful in doing it and those that were not successful, is there any gaps that you can alert the audience to? Absolutely. I am a data guy. So um, when I was younger in my career and things, I used to make what are called emotional decisions. Now that I'm an executive in a company, I don't make emotional decisions. I make <laughs> decisions based on the data that I have. <laughs> And so um, all of our students are assigned success coaches and our success coaches have KPIs that move our students through the process of the program. Okay. And we realize that there are certain triggers in certain what we call activation points that if a student doesn't hit, they're unlikely to um, accomplish their goal because graduation from our school means that you landed a job. It's not you okay. finished a course. Congratulations. Like we're results oriented. But it, it comes down to people hitting at least 70% of our program. When they get to that level, they've put themselves in a position where success is pretty much guaranteed. But those that don't hit that 70% mark, they're unlikely to make it happen. So it, it comes down to um, we, we have this, we polled our top students. They got like crazy results, right? Okay. And they all have something that's in common, like they their why was strong why they're doing this and they had a commitment to getting it done and they took ownership ownership of their own results because like i can teach you i can talk to you till i'm blue in the face but i can't go to the interview for you i can't make you learn this stuff you got to be willing to do it i'm going to make it as simple as possible but you got to grab the bull by the horns learn the things that i'm teaching you and then implement Very true. Again, it gets back to that. They have to walk through the door. Yep. yep. <laughs> you, can, you can show them where it's at and you can tell them what's going to happen on the other side of it, but they got to walk through that darn door. Exactly. So they are there, give us uh, some of those activation points. Like is there, a, or KPIs? Can you, are you able to share any of that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we got different KPIs and activation points. So um, we have onboarding complete. Our program is actually broken up into different stages. You got freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and then intern. Okay. So when people get to the point of doing the intern and after they've had our, um, we have this process we call the resume supercharge. After they had their resume supercharged and they've gone through the internship and they've done interview prep with me, when they got to that part, success is pretty much guaranteed but for the people that don't hit those points right there i'm like dude like what are you doing because like the investment to my program is expensive and i don't understand how you could invest that type of money and not do the work so but because of that i don't understand it because i'm different we we are doing something that no other company is doing and i hope to give a ted talk about this one day I believe that um, mindfulness should be a part of every educational system. 
because of things that go on in our day-to-day life, our upbringing and just past experiences, we carry this trauma with us that literally we live in this fight or flight situation. And when you're in that mode, it's hard to receive and learn anything new. So we have a mindset coach, which happens to be my brother, where he helps people get past those mental blocks and actually puts them in the mental state where they can learn and get past their own um, issues that are holding them back. See, this is why early on I asked that question about, you know, why always me? There's that, that sur- and that survival, the victim, the survival instinct. You have to rise above that. If you're going yep. to accomplish anything, I, I don't care what you're doing. It's not even cybersecurity. I don't care if you're a piano player, you're some artist, you're whatever, you're an athlete. You got to get past that or it's not going to yep. work. Exactly. It's, it, it's foundational. Um, yep. And and often, I, and I'll put this out there for our listeners, you know, like uh, I can talk about how when when I'm personally looking to hire someone, a lot of the skills, depending on the role, there's some skills where we do need someone out of the box that can do it on day one. But a lot of the skills we're willing to teach, we're looking for mm-hmm. the personality. Does this person have the ability to deal with the pressure? Are they positive? Are they going to work well with the team? Are they going to be Debbie Downer? You know, those things matter a lot because... Yep. Uh, there's enough negativity in the world of cybersecurity. I mean, you're dealing with uh, situations uh, that that inherently uh, can be problematic. So you don't want a problematic team member. Not at all. Right? Not at all. So let, let, since we are a cybersecurity podcast, uh, let's let's go into something a little bit hardcore here. You you mentioned you've mentioned in some of the talks you've done PCI DSS quite a bit. Yep. Why is that? I know what that is, but for our listeners here, tell us why that is so, why that was so important to you and and your career in cyber and might be relevant to other people. Uh, It was so important to my career because that was the, when I, when I first went through my first assessment in 2012, after God fell asleep, of course, um, (laughs) this was when I realized my value that I could bring to a company. Because like, I didn't realize, like at first it was just collecting data, talking to these auditors and whatnot, but I wasn't seeing the big picture. I wasn't looking at this like a business technology professional. But as I started sitting in the meetings with the execs and understanding the risk and hearing these conversations they're having with the bank and the potential fines and the penalties, I was like, but what I'm doing is really impactful. It's really impactful. And being able to... um explain those controls and really understanding the requirements and being able to lead different business units to um, hit compliance standards, I realized that I had something special there. So let let me ask you a a pet question here about compliance. If you're compliant, does that mean that you have great cybersecurity? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) there you heard it from someone who's a master of their craft on this topic and not from me so (laughs) hey that's one of the um one of the first modules in our program is security versus compliance because like in pci dss requirement um eight it says that passwords need to be at least seven characters um have a unique character and you know some password complexities well password 
number one with a capital P is compliant, but it's not secure. Absolutely. So it doesn't matter how compliant you are. Security and compliance are completely different things. I love it. And I'm glad it came from you and not from me <laughs> on this. So on the um, on that topic, are there, when you look at all the breaches that have happened, if you look at the consequences for the companies when it comes to losing of your social security number, your credit card data, your home address, the, these these things have, there's been so many breaches, we can't even talk about it in the time right. time remaining, right? But there's, other than fines and bad press, there hasn't been life-altering consequences for companies, whereas the people whose datas have been lost, there have been life-altering consequences for them. Yes. Okay. Yes. So th that's a little asymmetrical. So what should companies be doing to better safeguard the privacy of that information that you don't think they're doing now? So n number one, they need to do the, the hard things which is setting a standard of not only compliance, but security. As a security consultant myself, I've seen entirely too many companies where the security department is trying to lead instead of the executive setting the standard. And so like um, we, we developed this whole cyber hero mantra for our students and even myself. And it's not about us making money and saving the company, but it's really about the end user because I've been a victim of credit card fraud myself, okay. especially when using a debit card, you never know when and if the bank is ever going to even give you your money back. So having your funds in limbo, dealing with the financial aspects of that missed payments and things like, I don't want anybody to deal with that. That's why like we're hardcore on making that systems, people, processes, technology are in place to make sure that um, companies are protecting their um, clients' data, their payment data, personal data, and everything, because it's just, it's entirely too much that could happen. But the tone has to be set at the top. So like um, when I'm consulting with companies and I hear all this complaining and I see all these controls that are not in place, I usually look at the leadership and I have a conversation with them and see like, well, what are the standards? Have you communicated what the standards are? Right. So like it needs to, that, that's where it has to start at the top. And often that's where it's missing. Now, and then there's the whole issue of the cybersecurity professionals being able to enlighten the executives who should be leading what the problem set is. Cause a lot of times someone's talking zeros and ones and those guys are talking about the operations of the business and the two worlds are a little yep. separate separated right yep yeah that's one of the the challenges that um i try to teach the people that i mentor and, and that's why my podcast is called don't be an it guy because an it guy is not going to influence a ceo but a business professional technology professional is so i could tell the ceo hey we need to get this compliance thing done or else we're going to be fined. Or I could tell the CEO, hey, these vulnerabilities are going to end up costing us $3.5 million because we have the potential to lose 500,000 cards in this database if it's not breached. So we're going to need an annual budget of $250,000 to bring in some consultants to help us true this up. 
Do I have your support on this? Like, they need the numbers, man. They don't care about the technology. Man, for all you uh, craft professionals listening out there, that kind of conversation will make a huge difference. People want to hear it. And if you're that proactive and that confident in the way that Boyd just said it, uh, (laughs) you're going to get noticed. (laughs) I can tell you that for sure. Uh, In terms of something actionable uh, for... Our, our audience. I, I had. A, I was curious. You, you know, PCI DSS Inside Out. Do you? What do you think of not using your credit card and using switching to something like a PayPal or Apple Pay or the Android equivalent of that, uh, and using those? Is that a much more secure environment per se than handing your card at the terminal and or storing that data? Yeah, the whole PayPal thing. Yeah, but when it comes to like the Android and Apple Pay, those are great alternative solutions than putting your card in places. Number one, with Apple Pay, you can actually rotate your CVC number on demand, which is really cool. But they also create a virtual token of your card. So it's a virtual card number. So it's not really your card, which is great. Great, 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 great. So yeah, I would recommend using any type of virtual technology as much as possible versus just your your static card you wrote a book uh that talks about proven ways that companies can reduce cybersecurity breaches yep couple minutes here enlighten us on what some of those ways are what should companies be doing so you, i think you talked about the executive side of it the leadership setting standards but what else should they be doing you should be spending a minimum of five million dollars a year on firewalls joking (laughs) (laughs) well you know what what you're saying there i know what you're about to say on this but a lot of people want to solve the cybersecurity problem with pure technology and it's a people issue. So that's interesting that you're able to. And that's where I'm getting at. So the the book is actually focused around the insider threat. I could spend, I could go to all the big A players and buy the best firewalls on the market, but that little person in marketing or my receptionist, all it takes is one link that she clicks, he clicks and it's game over. That's right. It really comes down to training your staff, because cybersecurity is everybody's responsibility, not just the security department. Everybody needs to be conscious of phishing emails, clicking links, making sure that computers are locked down, strong passwords. So that, that's what it comes down to. And when you have the right governance program in place, you can monitor those things. Oftentimes, companies end up in the position to get breached because they set these standards, but they don't have anybody policing these standards with KPIs. How often are we rotating Mm -hmm. passwords? How often have we pen tested our network? How many vulnerabilities do we have that are open past two years that people said they would get fixed and they never fixed them? So it, it, it comes down again to knowing the numbers. You know, I think uh, it's such a firefight that what you're talking about is having a long, longer term focused vision and sticking to that discipline. Yep. Um, but the day to day often interferes with the execution of that in many ways. 
I mean, you look at the SZA top 18, right? I think it's 18 now. Um, how many companies even get the top three of the SZA components right? <laughs> Forget, we're not even going to get to four and five. Let's just do the top three, right? Patching your systems, that's fundamental. Right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. It's hard. They, 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 they often don't do it, right? And yep. I, I, but I like if you have the KPIs, which if you were to track that, that ties back to risk. And then if you look, if that risk is not acceptable, now you can make a non-emotional decision about what to do about it. I guess I'm exactly, right. exactly. So the, what I hear, I hear that all the time um, during this assessments. Well, it's hard. I don't care if it's hard. It's not impossible. It can be done. But the problem is from the top down, there's no accountability. That's why the KPIs are important because when you tie those KPIs to somebody's job, then there's going to be some action that's going to get done. So it's like you need to have 80% of systems patched in X amount of time. KPI gets them, they're at 50%. And then next thing you know, they're in the performance improvement plan. I hate to, to, to be that type of guy, but if you want a high performance culture, you have to manage people to the KPI so that they can improve their performance to hit the goals. Because everything else is just, um, it's it's like a nice to have instead of the standard. Right. And, you know, that kind of um, a mentality to instantiate is a little bit of, it's you're you're now getting into a culture change there. And especially the mentality of bringing the people into the cybersecurity business, uh, the people of your organization, regardless of their position, uh, mm -hmm. into being aware that cybersecurity is their job. That's definitely a cultural change Absolutely. that you're instantiating in most organizations, right? Yep, it has to be. It it, it, it has to be, but it's you get a we get a lot of resistance on that, right? There's a lot of resistance. Oh, we've always done it this way. We can't. Oh man. That that answer right there drives me nuts. We've well, always I'm done sure it this way. I'm sure you get it a lot. And it was okay last year when the other QSA looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it not okay this year? Why do you want me to do this? Right? Right. <laughs> well, do you want to be on the front page of a newspaper again and be another statistic? You know, what is that? It, it's. I don't think a lot of companies understand the value of the loss that's going to occur if they get they breached. Don't. They don't. <clears throat> they and, don't. And it's only after it happens that it hits the reality actually ends up hitting them. And that's unfortunate. Yep. So I remember a well-known retailer got breached several years ago. And, you know, they were kind of light with the security thing. But after that breach was made public and I went to PCI training, it had like 15 people in that class. <laughs> yep let's close the barn doors after the horse left the stable yep okay right that, so that see worked. what you guys are doing now buddy <laughs> <laughs> let's let's see how this goes <clears throat> so we're down to the last couple minutes here i want we wanted to give you a platform to talk about anything that you'd like to is there anything you'd like to plug any new books you're working on any shows you're going to be doing any appearances TED Talks, yeah. you mentioned you want to do some of those. So floor is yours, gotta, Boyd. Whatever you want to, it's it's yours. Sweet, sweet. So I got a couple things coming up. Number one, um, I'm going to be speaking at the PCI community meeting in Toronto, 
uh, next month. And this is pretty cool. This will be the first time that my wife has joined me on the big stage. I'm excited about it. We're going to be talking about training for gold, how um, training your staff and employees can actually be used to increase security and compliance. So something I'm passionate about. I'm going to give um, the leaders out there some really good ideas on how they can shift the culture. And the other thing that I'm working on, I'm actually in the final stages of finalizing my book right now that I'm writing with Forbes, and it's called Through the Firewall. It's about my story and how you know we started from the bottom, and now we run a pretty successful consulting firm. That's going to be a, a really, really good book. That should inspire some people. That's a great title. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And and uh ha has anybody from the TED circuit contacted you? No. You hopefully somebody's listening. Pick me up. <laughs> I I just I am waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> be careful what you wish for, Boyd, cuz once you get on it. that, it's going to be hard to get off that treadmill. So just just know that. <laughs> I want it. I want it. <laughs> well, uh, Boyd, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you here. Um, th thanks for your story. Thanks for giving us some sage advice. And, you know, when uh, your book is out through the firewall, come back. Tell us about it. Give our listeners a little bit. Even if it's a 10-minute short, we'd love to give people the lowdown on what's happening with that. Oh, man, I'd be honored to do that. That would be awesome. <laughs> It's been fantastic. Uh, well, I appreciate the time. It's been fun. Yeah. Hey, keep up the good work and keep up the cause. Um, you're making a difference. So, that's Thank you. Well, take care. <laughs>